Welcome to Love Matters. I'm Jeff Cole. And I'm Lori Kret. We're married, licensed therapists, and board-certified coaches specializing in relationship counseling and coaching. We're also the founders of Aspen Relationship Institute. To find out more about the work we do, check us out at aspenrelationship.com. Love Matters is a collection of insights and observations from our own relationship, our work as coaches, and from couples we meet who are living and loving in inspiring ways. Today we're going to be talking about a therapeutic construct called the trauma triangle and how it relates to relationships. So if you envision a triangle with three points in your head, each point has a different role. So the three roles of the trauma triangle are the victim, the perpetrator, and the rescuer. So maybe it would be important to even step back and define what trauma is. Sure. So trauma has lots of different sort of technical definitions, whether you're coming from the medical world or the psychology world. But ultimately, it can be narrowed down to one simple concept, and that is that trauma is anything that creates a pervasive or, or lasting change of your sense of self in the world and your sense of safety of the world. So, I mean, I think it's important that we talk a little bit about the difference between macro traumas and micro traumas and the fact that both of them can create that kind of change. Yeah, I think most people think of the more macro trauma where it's a singular event, you know, uh, maybe uh, some kind of abuse or assault or a natural disaster or something. You know, you think about war veterans or people who have survived catastrophes. So I think most people look at it from the lens of, of the macro traumas, the, the, the one big event. But I think it's really important to also talk about the micro traumas. Yeah, because a lot of times people won't even identify themselves as having experienced any trauma in their lives. But micro traumas, particularly things in childhood, like having a parent who was dealing with a substance abuse issue or their own mental health, parents who were just really overwhelmed and maybe there was some emotional neglect in the household, all of those experiences where time after time there was a message that perhaps that child wasn't as important or that their needs weren't as important can create uh, an experience of consistent or chronic microtraumas. And I would also include negative messaging, like you're not good enough or you're not okay. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times when we talk about childhood microtraumas, we tend to focus on what's happening in the family system with parents. But as we get, especially into middle school and high school, it can also be a result of bullying or peer rejection and negative or painful interactions that we have from our peer community that can create those powerful micro traumas as well. Okay. So once a person experiences these traumas, and I think it's safe to say that we've all experienced some degree of micro traumas, then what is the process of this trauma triangle being created and what purpose does it serve? The degree to which someone has experienced trauma and ultimately really what it comes down to is how much it has affected their sense of safety in the world and their lens of the world in that way. For someone who really felt unsafe, the way to create a sense of security in the world is to really take on this lens of people are either good or bad, trustworthy or not, helpful or harmful. And it 
it becomes a way to cut out any person who could potentially be risky and to attach to people who are perceived as being supportive or healthy and in the trauma triangle, that rescuer role. So to remind folks, there's the, the victim, the rescuer, and the perpetrator. And generally, the, the person who's experienced the trauma identifies as the victim. And so you're saying the two uh, other roles, the, the rescuer and the perpetrator, those, that's the safe and the, the dangerous or... Yeah, or unsafe. And, and I want to be really clear here that when we say victim, there's so much sort of talk in culture about people playing the victim. And that's not what this is. It's not about shaming the victim in this case. The victim is someone who feels very vulnerable. And so you can replace victim with the vulnerable person. But they do see the world as acting against them all the time or for them all the time instead of looking at people acting for themselves or as themselves. It's always in relation to the victim. So really there's often a a projection of their level of their degree of safety onto somebody else and so that how that's how it it really does relate to the relationship dynamic where the vulnerable person or the victim then sees their partner as either the the rescuer which there's an expectation that they create a state of safety or the the perpetrator and that's the blame for creating an, an unsafe situation. Yeah, absolutely. So the the problem with that is that we are not just one thing. We are all multifaceted human beings who all have strengths and who all have weaknesses. And even people who love each other dearly sometimes do things that cause hurt or pain or disappointment to their partner. And so this trauma triangle sets people up for really unrealistic expectations. The goal is to be able to move them, the, the perpetrator role and the rescuer role out of those containers and to really be able to allow people to exist as people. So really, if someone is being identified uh, as either the rescuer or the perpetrator, they're really not free to, to be themselves and to uh, move fluidly in the world. Their, their actions are always interpreted in, in one context or another. Again, I think what you're talking about, the, the expectations are just unrealistic. So moving this conversation into intimate relationships and what that really looks like when this trauma triangle is present is that oftentimes the vulnerable person or the victim in the triangle will see their partner vacillating between being the rescuer and being the perpetrator. So what happens is is that they let this person in assuming that they're going to be a rescuer, assuming that they're always going to take care of their emotional needs, help them feel safe, help them feel loved, help them feel worthy and deserving. And the minute that there is conflict or tension or that partner does something to set a boundary or take care of their own needs, they suddenly flip into being the perpetrator. So again, that's sort of based on unrealistic expectations that people who have experienced trauma, and again, that really does include most of us, that in some ways we get into relationships hoping that, unconsciously or subconsciously, hoping that our partners are going to create some sense of safety or emotional regulation, stability, really the idea of self-soothing for us, and that we 
initially label our partners as the rescuer, which which does have some connotations of a more codependent relationship for sure. And I think we can get to that maybe a little later, but that we begin relationships um, hoping that our partner will be that rescuer, will make us feel safe and secure, wanted, loved, and all those things. And then when those unrealistic expectations aren't met, it can flip to the other side where we maybe then see our partners as actually the cause of our pain or the cause of our sense of of not being safe. And the truth is, is that most of us have some version of the trauma triangle in our lives. It's hard as human beings to not have any aspect of this dynamic show up in our relationships. The extent to which we are able to really hold ourselves and self-soothe and own our own worth allows us to have a much smaller dynamic or a much more manageable trauma triangle dynamic. And for people who have not had the ability or the opportunity or the support to really develop that yet, um, the trauma triangle becomes much greater and much more apparent in the dynamic of the relationship. So would it be fair to say that in a relationship, if you are feeling as though there's often a lot of blame and finger pointing and a lot of time spent thinking about uh, and talking about what your partner, the negative things that your partner is doing, even to the extent of it sort of being an I love you, I hate you relationship, you might want to think about this this construct of the trauma triangle and be curious about your own history of trauma, whether it's macro or micro. So I think it might be helpful if we share a little bit about some of the examples that we've worked with recently with couples who are experiencing some pretty strong dynamics of this trauma triangle. So one couple in particular, the the guy has experienced some significant trauma as a kid going through a really contentious divorce, not feeling safe in the world, having uh, really questioning, I think, his his sense of value and sense of self-worth. And as a result, and, and I don't think this is, this is uncommon at all, really looked to intimate relationships with women as a way to feel safer in the world and ultimately lovable. So it's important to recognize that Often people who have been through trauma and are looking to someone else to rescue them, they tend to attract people who also have some uncertainty about their own value and level of worth and lovability. And those people who who are attracted are often really good at being the rescuer. They're good at taking care of other people in order to feel that value. Yeah, I think this is a really important point because it does take folks who have experienced some sort of trauma not only to fit into the the victim role, but also to be in that place of of the rescuer role. Because if if you take someone who really hasn't experienced the trauma or really has resolved uh, through working uh, through it, they're not going to be as willing to step into that rescuer role. Yeah, there really is an important distinction between loving someone and wanting to take care of someone. And in healthy relationships, we always use this analogy of the cupcake, that each partner coming to the relationship has to have their own cake baked already. And the relationship and the partner really adds the sprinkles, the joy, the little extra something special to their world. 
in this case of the Triumph Triangle, we're talking about two individuals whose cupcakes are kind of half-baked, and they're looking for someone else to fill in that void. So in this particular couple, there there really was a foundation built on these neurotic expectations of completing each other that are so unrealistic that they'll never be met, which leads to resentment and disappointment, um, even a sense of betrayal. And that's where the, the those two roles in that triangle flip from rescuer to perpetrator. So the case that we're exploring right now what happened was he came into this relationship expecting her to unconditionally love him and to always be there for him and to always support him and in the process he um, really hurt her and violated her trust and broke some of the boundaries of the marriage and when she finally said enough I'm not doing this anymore I'm hurting too much and I don't want to be treated this way she said I'm done with this marriage and she went from being the rescuer for many years to suddenly being the perpetrator who is now abandoning him when in reality he never really showed up for her which is really common for people who are in that victim role because they really are showing up to the relationship without a sense of their own identities, their own responsibilities to the relationship, and with these unrealistic expectations of their partner. And the truth is is that even though on the surface from that statement, it, it looks like the blame and the responsibility is really on him, but there is a part on her side as well. So her coming into this relationship with playing the rescuer role to the T meant that along the way she really struggled to set firm boundaries and to um, advocate for herself and to step up for herself because doing so would mean that she wasn't taking care of him. And if her worth and her sense of value came from being able to take care of him, then standing up for herself really comes into conflict with that. And his biggest I think um, pain point in how things have landed in their relationship is that she waited so long to really put her foot down and advocate. And um, in his experience, he didn't know along the way how much his choices and actions and behaviors were really impacting her. And I think there are really two pieces to her experience that led to that place where where she said enough is enough and one was that it was really just too painful and uh, essentially too lonely to to keep playing that role but I also think there was a piece where um, she really wanted to to find herself and to to discover her own individuality and to find her place in the world and in that rescuer role there is really no room for that it's it's a, a very confined space as you said earlier it's sort of that box that you're in and there's not a whole lot of flexibility to grow and to to become the person that you want to become so how do you know if you are operating from the victim role or from the rescuer role? One of the best ways to find out if you are in that role of victim is to look at your patterns of relationship. Specifically, if you've always been in a relationship or always seeking a relationship, then there may be some indication that there is this desire to create that soothing and that sense of well-being, essentially being rescued by someone else in an intimate relationship. If you've not spent a lot of time on your own, not just 
not in a relationship, but while single, not in a relationship, thriving, um, learning about yourself, growing, finding ways of building that sense of self or that sense of value, it's probably likely that you have played that victim role in the past or are currently doing that in your relationship. Another thing to look at is your tendency to get validation and approval from your partner. And if there's a lot of pressure on your partner to provide that for you, that is another good indication that there's an expectation that they rescue you. Equally, there are some signs that you might be in that rescuer role. If you have grown up in a family dynamic where you're the good kid who never needed anything, who was always thoughtful of everyone else, who got a lot of validation for taking care of others, you may have created a link in your own mind between being lovable and being valuable to taking care of others. And as an adult, this could show up as you um, foregoing your own boundaries and having a hard time saying no at the possible expense of disappointing or hurting or not taking care of others. So if you really strongly identify with being the caregiver and have done so at the expense to your own well-being, then there's probably a good chance that you are prone to falling into that rescuer role for others in relationships. So really it's a, a way of getting a sense of identity from the relationship rather than from an internal source. Yeah, it's the sense of identity is that I am good and I am deserving and I am lovable because I take care of other people. And so you have to have someone to take care of in order to really fully manifest that sense of well-being. And in the long run, that dynamic is unsustainable. It's going to come at a cost to you that is so great that you're going to end up really compromising yourself and hurting and disappointing the person that you attract into that relationship. So it's really kind of curious that we find each other, that the people who tend to look for others for validation and approval, for soothing, for rescuing, um, we're pretty adept at finding people who want to play that role, who are good at that role, who have experienced that role before. So once, once we found that person and we recognize that perhaps we're playing out that trauma triangle in our relationship, what do we do? So the answer for both the victim and the rescuer really is the same. And it's going back and baking your own cupcake again. It's about figuring out how do you redefine what your source of self-worth is? How do you go back and, you know, it's this, this term of reparenting that I know sounds really cheesy, but has a lot of truth and value in it. When we're kids, we look to our parents to tell us and to plant the seeds that we are lovable and that we are okay and that we have intrinsic worth and value. And our parents as human beings sometimes just miss the ability to really give us that message the way that we need it. And so it's about taking ownership of who you are and telling yourself all of those things that you are looking for the world to tell you. It's reaffirming for yourself that you are lovable and that you are deserving and that you are okay. So essentially it is taking that 
neurotic expectation of your partner to create that sense of safety and well-being for you and reframing it back to figuring out how to do that for yourself. Yeah, it really is about taking a look at the things that you are wanting your partner or other people in your world to give to you and going through the work to learn how to give that to yourself. And in concept, it's really simple, but we also know that in practice, it's really difficult. It's about rewiring your relationship with yourself. And so we encourage you to be curious and to seek support and resources that will help you in this work. There are several other dynamics that we encounter often in working with couples that are closely related to the trauma triangle, and they include things like attachment theory and codependence, and we're really excited to explore those in future podcasts, so we hope you will join us, and thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us. You can find the Love Matters podcast on iTunes or learn more about our work at aspenrelationship.com.